Hello and welcome to Ghoulies Unflushed. Um, we have a great episode for you this week with Michael Deke on the show. Uh, Michael Deke, actor, special effects artist, director. His body of work is so big, uh, let's hope we covered enough of it to appease his fans. But uh, you can go to Mike's IMDb and check his filmography out. It's insane how many great projects he's been part of. Uh, but we know him best here for his work on Ghoulies 2, as he not only was part of Beakle's effects team, but he also portrayed... Bozo, who loses his arm to fish Ghoulie in the dunk tank. I don't know why I've gone low. <laughs> um, he did do some stuff on Ghoulies and Good to Go to College, but it's mostly about the sequel uh, this time. Uh, but we, we do cover a lot of his other stuff because it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, but before we get to that, Paul, yes. shall we do the news? Do it. Um, well, what has happened in the world of Ghoulies, uh, Paul, since we last spoke? Uh, well, I happen to catch... In Search of Darkness Part 2, the horror documentary. And has it got Ghoulies Um, in it? It's got Ghoulies in it, um, only for about five minutes. Uh, It's basically Joe Dante (laughs) slating Ghoulies. (laughs) Hey, it's me, Joe Dante, I don't like Ghoulies. (laughs) Yeah, he he basically slates slates, uh, Ghoulies and then mentions all the other Gremlins rip-offs, even though Ghoulies isn't a Gremlins rip-off, but he he just throws it in there anyway. Um, It's probably the bit, same from the trailer, where he goes... Where he compares what his thoughts on Ghoulies is the fact that it's got a toilet on the um, poster. Right, so it's it's the it's the deleted scene that um, the the documentary posted on YouTube around the time of the first part yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it, feel, it kind of feels like it's all the same footage. Well, they just didn't use it's like four four hours, four and a half hours long as well. Yeah, I did. A, I did end up skipping for quite a bit of it. So I started getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> so there um, wasn't there was nothing it was just Joe Dante having a moan and there was no, no there was a bit more so there was, there was mostly Joe Dante then it, then it was Kane Hodder yeah oh, did he talk about Goody's Go to College, college. yes yeah, just very briefly talked about his scene in Goody's Go to College and it, it showed the scene as well which I thought was pretty cool mm. um, and then it went back to Joe Dante <laughs> <laughs> um, and he basically said that out of all the out of all the rip offs Critters was his favourite. Yeah, okay. That's so the same a, clip then. Just yeah. to stab another bit in there for us Goody's fans. He then says that Critters is his favourite. <laughs> and then he obviously mentions again that he, he ripped off films as well when he did Piranha. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, it's not the... To be fair, look, <clears throat> if you don't like the movie, fine. And especially, I mean, he's got reasons not to like the movie technically because it did ride yeah. the coattails of Gremlins a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't like anything. If I, I watched, <laughs> I watched that in Search of Darkness Part One, and yeah. whenever Joe Dante popped up, he just moaned about stuff all the time. Okay. Oh man, say something. If you're not going to say anything nice, don't say it. What did your mother teach you? Yeah, you know, be nice. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's what that's what's what he's become now. <laughs> he's he's become a grumpy old shitbag. Um. Right. What did I find out this week? Oh, um, uh, okay. I have some stuff. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you alerted me to this. Um, the WRWTFWW uh, Oh, site. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, they've got a limited edition signed test pressing of the Ghoulies vinyl soundtrack. Um, and if you're quick, you can pick up... Is it still available, is it? Is it yeah. still available? It's still available. Um, at, uh, at the time of recording, there are six left. Oh, not many then. Not many. I mean, they're only about. They're only sort of nine, I think, originally. So I don't know how uh, this. I think it's a, happened. Is it nine or twenty-nine? I can't remember. Wasn't I many at all. There wasn't many. Twenty-nine. No. But I might be wrong. But mm. for you bought one, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so for what? Well, so you just mentioned it. <laughs> 
I'll come in the post at some point. That's exciting. Oh, yeah, you go. You, well, you should come. Uh, well, 35 euros. Um, so really, it's only an extra 10 euros for um, not only uh, a signature by composer Richard Band, but also um, a slightly different version of the soundtrack, I guess. I don't know whether or not it's just a card they've inserted in or it's a um, slightly different uh, cover. I don't know. I think it's probably the same with a big card yeah. stuck in there saying test pressing and signed I'd imagine but it's a cool yeah. um, you know thing to have especially if you yeah, collect things nice cool bit of merch isn't it yeah and yeah. Um, right. they also although you, you pick one up and they, they actually have sold out now but um, WWTFWW I'm getting so good at saying that now yeah. uh, also had uh, found out found I, think, uh, I always think Dolly Parton when you say it I don't know because she worked Parton? on that TV show didn't she what TV show Something along those lines of WWE. <laughs> oh, okay. it's like a radio. It's a TV show where she's a radio presenter or something. Isn't it? No, it wasn't Dolly Parton. It was um. Oh, it's not like Who was it? It wasn't Dolly Parton. It was Lonnie Anderson. Oh, okay. That's a name I re- rings a bell. I don't know who it is though. Yeah. <laughs> Completely unrelated. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Um, okay, um, so they, about? yeah, there's no point in me talking about it because it's sold out, but they did have a, <laughs> they did have a few <laughs> of the collection of Empire Pictures trailers on vinyl, um, which oh, were yes. really limited edition anyway, right? And now they yep. found a couple more hiding in the corner. Yep. Probably stuff that they didn't end up giving away for promotional purposes or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you managed to get one of them too, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did pick okay, one yeah. of those. It's, it's the thing, when, when they first did the pre-orders, I looked at that and I was like, oh, that looks really cool. And then I was like, well... Actually, I'll never, I'll probably, I'll listen to it once and then I'll never listen to it again. So I'll just pick up Ghoulies. Um, and then as soon as Ghoulies arrived, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, I wish I'd picked up the trailer one. And obviously that they're sold out because it was like a really limited run. I guess it's a very, very niche thing to have trailers on a one. Oh, disc. yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, but I even looked around on like Discogs and eBay, but I never saw any appear. But I know if they did, there would be like silly, silly money because they, I think they only made a hundred. Something on like memory. That, yeah. Um, but yeah, then by chance, I saw that they had a handful for sale again, so they'd managed to find some more in their office or something, or the warehouse or whatever. And I think <laughs> it, some more down the back of the was, sofa. I think that was like six or nine or something like that they'd found. So yeah. yeah, I snapped it up. You pick one up. Even if you do listen Snap to it once, up. though, it's, yeah. I mean, knowing, uh, you know, WWTFWW, it'll look great. Yeah, I'm yeah, not I mean, sure it's got if all I'm... the logos. It's got all the, the movie fonts on the front. The logos are, that just that to me looks amazing. So, yeah. It does. Do you know if it's a gatefold or anything? Was it just literally a, you know? Um, I'm not sure. I don't I'm know. Sure, you have to, to be honest. Yeah. You'd have to just, put some pictures online when you get it. I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to hear the Ghoulies trailer on vinyl. Just be strange. Jonathan is having a housewarming party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great trailer. You'll yeah, wake up definitely. the neighbours. Um, <laughs> although I'm not worried about any other ones. Oh no, you've got goodies, and you've got goodies two on there. Ah, uh, is it? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was Empire, isn't it? So I guess it, it is. was something like 1984. Uh, all, the, all the Empire no. trailers are amazing. I guess that's what they are about, wasn't it? Amazing trailers, amazing posters. And he was good at selling stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And, and to be fair, mo- most of the Empire films were actually good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arguing there. <laughs> um, what? Well, okay, we're gonna we're gonna bang through these because we've not got too much time. But um, cool. What else have I put down here? Uh, trailer discs, yeah. Oh, Ghoulies and Ghoulies 2 are now on HBO Max, if you're in the United States. Um, oh, yes. We, did, we were alerted uh, by uh, alerted, yeah. Stephen Griffiths, who's part of the uh, uh, Unflushed Facebook group. 
Um, mm-hmm. And apparently there's nothing new. It's it's the, you know, uh, normal high definition Blu-ray transfers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which That's we, you know, you always hope it. that there's going to be something new there, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, but if you haven't seen them, I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but if you haven't seen it, or probably it's probably best. If you want to recommend that someone watches it who's never seen it and they've got HBO yeah. Max, you know you can say, look, well, it's on there. Watch yeah. it. It's free, right? If you've got HBO Max, just watch it anyway. Then they might add Goody's 3 and Goody's 4. Who knows? Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, well, perhaps. Oh, well, I imagine they got these two because they um, picked up the rights to a load of MGM stuff. But um, yeah, no, I don't spoil it. So <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't want to see Ghoulies 3 and 4 on HBO Max I want to see them on Blu-ray You know In a country other than Austria Yeah That'd be nice <laughs> Maybe 2021 is from, year. I don't know if you saw that as well actually NSM Records What? They are releasing uh, Releasing the 1 to 3 uh, Box set again But just on DVD I noticed oh, that okay. popped up uh, and it's only like twenty, like nineteen ninety nine euros. I thought that was very cheap. So Goody's Goody's one to three, same artwork, but it's mm. got an uncut logo on it, which I don't think it had on the um, original. Yeah. Oh, I, I've just checked. They are bringing it on Blu-ray as well, but in a non-media book format. Oh well, okay. Well, they tend to do that with all of them. Okay. Like it is in like the first oh. two that came out on media books. They then brought out on standard editions, and yeah, they're exactly the same discs. Um. But uh, 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 but without the media, but bleh, media books, and I would have thought I would, I reckon you'll probably see three on a standard edition then before yeah yeah. But grab them if you haven't grabbed them, grab them now because the the license is almost up, and I don't think they're going to be able to uh, reproduce them for, for forever. I did find I have got I've got I've got I'm get, I've got to buy a new uh, laptop because this one I'm using now is crap. Um, <laughs> but once I've um once I've uh, uh, got a new laptop and I can actually edit stuff again. Um, mm-hmm. I've got I've got a rip of the the Betamax version of Ghoulies, which I'm going to incorporate oh, yeah. the new uh, TV footage into, because you yeah. don't want it. This is the problem. If you if you put footage in something, yeah, the, it, if, if you've got like a lovely yeah widescreen HD and then it cuts to pretty bad um, sort of off air kind of VHS, it's pretty mm-hmm. jarring. So I figured, oh, yeah. well, what's the best version to do this? And I'd be like, well, the full screen Betamax release. So mm-hmm. I've got them there. I've got the two files ready to go. I just need to get this new laptop, and then I'll just cut them together, and then, and then no one else will see it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I will. Well, you know, it's something for me to do. <laughs> uh, just a random one for me. I noticed uh, Nightmare Toys in Las Vegas. I don't know if you've ever seen that store. It's a fairly new yeah, oh, store I know. that sells yeah, yeah. and Trick or Treat and just a huge horror store. Mm. But they have murals inside the store, and one of them is is a ghoulie coming out of the toilet. Oh, Ghoulies cool! One. Ghoulies original style. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they've got the puppets and stuff up for pre order. No, oh, they might do. I don't know. If, I don't know if they've got a website. I just saw this on a vlog on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, they've got a website. Yeah. Um, uh, the only reason I, I thought then then we were going to laugh about the fact that Trick or Treat Studios official site still hasn't got them listed in any way, shape, or no. form. Um, but no, you didn't. So there we go. <laughs> no, just let you know, there's a, there's a nice mural if you're in the Vegas area. Oh, okay, well, share it then. That's, that's cool. Um, I did send you before we we jumped on here uh, a screenshot from the making of Netherworld, the the video zone. Yes, which is on YouTube apparently. Stephen Snowden sent it my way. 
because um, Band is interviewed. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Band's interviewed. And there's a fish ghoulie puppet from Ghoulies 2 behind him. Mm-hmm. And it looks fantastic. Now, Netherworld was what? Early 90s? 1990? Yeah, it was one of the later ones, wasn't two? it? Two? Something say. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does. It is nice to see an actual full fish ghoulie puppet just standing there behind him. And it's, you know, I wonder what mm-hmm. happened to it. Wow. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> probably sold. Someone's it's got probably, it somewhere. I, I bet it's yeah. I bet it still exists somewhere. Yeah, it still exists somewhere. somewhere. That's a quite a good YouTube channel as well. To be fair, because is it? If it's the one that I'm thinking of, they they literally post all video zones. It's it's a form. It's like a full moon fan channel. Mm-hmm. Don't, it's not. I don't think it's official or anything. But yeah, he posts pretty much every video zone he finds, as well as trailers and. Uh, like the video store, you know, promo trailers. Yeah. Things like that. So, yeah. It's a cool channel. I, I subscribe. Cool. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so, Mike Deke was generous enough to his time to come on and speak to us. Yeah. Um, he had a fish ghoulie from Ghoulies 2 with him. Uh, yes. So, if that doesn't make sense because you couldn't see anything, uh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and after I last saw it. week's... I was like, wow. Yeah, well, it, well, this is why it came up because after last week's moaning, by me about the possible incorrect scale of the Goonies in the sequel <laughs> might also put that gripe to bed. So listen for that. <laughs> but uh, Mike is an amazing artist and we were lucky to have him. So ladies and gentlemen, Michael Deke. How are you, Mike? Are you, uh, are you surviving? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was actually concerned earlier this week because... Uh, this whole COVID thing is just really annoying and, uh, it just gets a little depressing here, but I'm still working at Steve's. And, um, so I, I have a job now. I'm refurbishing one of our ride game statues. All the electronics kind of burnt out after like eight years. So I had the electrician or the electrical engineer programmer guy come out yesterday and we went through the whole thing. Now I got to order the parts and I'll be sitting there for the next two weeks soldering LED lights onto the thing <laughs> testing the program. So it's a giant teddy bear that's supposed to look like it's on fire so at least oh, i have wow. a job, you know. <laughs> oh sure well you did the same thing for the suit for um uh, bill and ted right that was that was pretty tedious i guess yeah well that one that one was small though this one is like the teddy bear i think is like eight feet tall and i don't uh-huh. have a photo of it right now but it's uh uh it's for annie and tibbers because there's a little girl i don't know if you know ride games all the league of legends or whatever no nope. right i don't know i don't know that video stuff but either way <laughs> It's a job. <laughs> and a couple well, it's of good. It's good. I'm Bill's thing, so that was good for a couple of days. I'm Bill Butler's oh. little uh, Miskatonic U thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. nice to see. This is, this is kind of cool, really, because you're all kind of back into the fold of a, uh, you know, I mean, that's Charlie Band again, isn't it? Who's producing yeah, that? Yeah, Charlie again. Yeah. That's it was cool. good to see Charlie, although, you know, Charlie's in a bad way right now because I guess on the Facebook is one of his sons passed. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was a little not... Not normal Charlie, so. Mm-hmm. No, that's understandable. Understandable, yeah. How are you guys doing over there? Yeah, we're doing good. Just getting on with things, ready with the current situation, so. Yeah. Enjoying doing the podcast, aren't we? Well, I am, at least. I hope growing <laughs> in. <laughs> well, <clears throat> um, I know you said, like, you were, you were sort of, uh, had enough free time at some point to listen to a couple of the episodes to kind of. Yeah, I did. Now, there's one that hasn't aired yet, so that goes, that goes out this coming Saturday, and then yeah. you go out the fortnight after. 
And oh, um, I'm going to go oh, out oh, way before that, man. You're going to play this <laughs> back and go, geez, what did we do? You know, get rid of this guy. <laughs> Yeah, well, interview, I know. interview a brick wall be more interesting. Yeah. No, no, not in the slightest. You've got some great yeah. stories. But we had this, we had this um, episode planned because um, they've just released or just announced that Trick or Treat Studios are releasing Ghoulies props and really? uh, from Ghoulies too. We're so we're all excited about it, and um, and then uh, we found out that they kind of were quite expensive and, and a little bit undersized or oversized. Sorry. Which is one of the questions, but basically we went into this episode really, really, really happy about it. <laughs> and it kind of went really wrong. We ended up just being a couple of grumpy shits for like about an hour. <laughs> I know you've got two thirds of a fish ghoulie still. Can you recall how big exactly were, I know they varied, like let's say how big was Cat Ghoulie in Ghoulies 2? I, Cat Ghoulie with the legs, maybe 18 inches. <laughs> that sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause they were, I mean, cause the fish really back there, the actual one we use, that's the same size from the torso up without the legs. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, well. <laughs> Get it all. <laughs> so you Always yeah. Yeah. This guy, this is, this is his actual size. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. And then he had the legs that were maybe down about this far. So. Yeah. That's it. So it's about, you know, 18, 20 inches. I don't know, maybe under two feet, probably. Mm-hmm. Under two feet. See, yeah. we have this <laughs> argument because the ones, the ones they're producing, they say they're, what do they say? Over two foot, just, just a little over yeah. two foot. And I'm like, it's yeah. too big. That's <laughs> it. I'm not going to buy them. And then what are they? $170 each. No, 250. Wow. 250. No, $250. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That costs more than it costs to make the originals in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I'm kind of this is this is the hard thing because um uh you've had such an extensive career and um to kind of encapsulate that in kind of like an hour or something is kind of hard. So if we just kind of like dip in and you know perhaps sort of uh, focus on a lot of the Empire stuff, um I'm kind of you you, now as far as I'm concerned, your first sort of foot into the door was uh, on Day of the Dead, right? That was my first, uh, well, actually, uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, the first actual paying gig I did was, cause I was, well, all right, let me try to make this kind of, I was friends with John Bullitt, who we, we used to make Super 8 movies up in Fresno. Mm-hmm. And, um, and through John wanted to be in the makeup effects industry and that kind of thing. So I remember that it's a, it's a tired old story, but it's a true one. We used to, you know, drink beer out in the fig orchards in Fresno and we were talking and he was saying if George Romero ever does another zombie movie, he wants to do makeup effects in it. And I said, well, if you're going to do makeup effects in it, I'm going to get in there to be a zombie. And mm. almost two years exactly later, John had the opportunity to work on it. He invited me out. I crashed in his hotel because he had an extra bed there and stuff like that. And I got to be in it and we, we fulfilled it. But. Before that, I was hanging out in L.A. for a while, and that's where I got to meet uh, Mitch Devane and Howard Berger and Everett Burrell and, and uh, Bill Butler. And uh, the first thing I did was uh, at Beaker's shop is Charlie uh, Terminator had just come out, and they were going to release Trancers. And they were doing a trailer for Trancers, and they said, well, we want to tie in and cash in on the Terminator thing. So what they did is Mitch Devane and Bob Kurtzman did a half-faced robot makeup on me with human skin over it. Uh, we went down to the Empire's offices back then on La Brea in Hollywood, 
Charlie Band shot it in a closet. I was against the black background. I reached up with a robot hand. I ripped the skin off my face to expose I'm a robot. And then opticals come out and says transfers. So it looked like it was a Terminator ripoff movie as opposed to just what it was. And that was my first paying gig. And then that's when John got the job to get on Day of the Dead. And I went out there to work there. Ah, has that shown up anywhere? Because I know I've tried looking for that little TV spot, but I've not found it. Um, I had a copy of it and I sent a copy to, um, Oh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, he's doing the documentary on the... Daniel Griffiths. Daniel Griffiths, yeah. I sent it to Daniel Griffiths because we had a bunch of meetings, and I sent him a copy of that because I just had a VHS. Really? So I don't know if he found any more original source materials. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, t- I spoke to him not long ago because I sent him the, the Ghoulies uh, TV version, uh, extended scenes with Paul and I found. Mm-hmm. Uh so hopefully he was going to include that too. But yeah, it sounds like he's going to have a lot of stuff in that documentary when it finally hits, which should be this year, I think. Well, I mean, it was supposed to be coming out within the last three or four years, I think, already at this point. So, but I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. he's a great job with it because he's got a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff there. It's a great mm-hmm. story too because you know I keep forgetting that that was the last real big independent small studio. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to kind of. Th- imagine when you've not been there how that actually worked because actually and also there's there's barely any kind of behind the scenes stuff there's barely any um like sort of personal photographs and that kind of thing i did send you copies of a lot of my behind the scenes photos right oh yes but you're yeah. like literally you're the exception right <laughs> <I> <laughs> no mean, one else when I, I was just talking with john criswell within the last year and i know that he had he had one of the first Super 8 video cameras or the 8 whatever it was video camera and he had mm-hmm. some footage of behind the scenes of uh, Ghoulies but he said that he he doesn't know where it is right now oh. so there's an ongoing <laughs> search for that kind of thing no hopefully they find some more stuff then because uh, yeah that'd be cool no. so you said before that um, the work on the first Ghoulies was essentially uh, holding a paper cup of slime basically blue yeah because I was yeah. working at bank at the time, and I was poor and broke, and then John and, and Mitch Devane, all those guys are working on the movie, and they said, come out to set. You can pretend you're part of the crew and get a free dinner out of it. And I'm like, okay. And so I basically was just a little helper and looked like I was part of the crew, because that was one of my first experiences. That was probably the first experience, because I wasn't paid or anything. I just ate. Although <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't kind of... um. You didn't put your hand, get your hands dirty, so to speak, on that one. But what was it like? Because I guess you were taking it all in. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I remember that one of the first things that I was there for is they had a, a big French door set up with a breakaway glass, and they had the air mortars, and had the, the, the air mortars go up and blast the glass through and explode. So I think it was Michael DeBar comes in, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't remember yeah. which character it was. And I mean, that was one of the first things that I remember being on set seeing. You know, it was, like, very cool. And then I mm-hmm. also think there was a, a heart coming out of a chest that was basically on a pole because I think originally it was supposed to be shot in 3D or something, so they had the heart so it busted out and went straight towards yeah. the camera. Ah, so, oh, wow! There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of these things. Like you sent me some clips from movies too that I forgot about, like when Bill Butler was getting cut, cut in half at the pendulum that I forgot that we actually we did a lot more. At least yeah. when I was involved, a lot more gore, a lot more stuff. That all ended up on the cutting room floor because of ratings. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, mm-hmm. these little clips come out and I'm going like, hell yeah, we worked our asses off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was actually going to be one of my questions. How, how, how does that make you feel when you put all that effort in and then 
you see the final result and and it's not there or some of your favorite bits aren't there yeah well i mean it was it was always disappointing because we were always trying to push the envelope and you know ever since i saw dawn of the dead i was a huge became a huge gorehound so that's i used to do a lot of the blood gags and things like that and people getting cut open and blood spraying up and all that stuff ultimately got cut out and uh it's you, you go back now and if you're lucky enough you find these little clips that show up from somewhere and go like oh yeah i did that because yeah, i forget now in the memory of going back 30 years you just yeah. remember the film as it was and you kind of forget oh yeah we shot this entire whole sequence or we shot so much more that never made it to the right. screen yeah yeah wow Sometimes um, it's a when you find those things it's a oh yeah and then it goes yeah, yeah. back <laughs> Well, stuff's still showing up, so it's nice to see it. You know, you know, after mm-hmm. all these years, it's, it's coming out on old VHS tapes and people's collections and things. So it is out there, just kind of yeah. waiting for the last few pieces, you know, to fill all these things in. You, um, we had a uh, an episode a couple of weeks ago uh, with Stacey Still on where we kind of discussed Goody's too, mm-hmm. and uh, Paul actually mentioned uh, that many of the signs at the carnival made oh, very yeah. little sense because of the kind of Italian to English conversion. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so it leads me to ask you if you'd care to explain what Fugliobucci is. <laughs> is that what you called it? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. You know, I, I just recently was, was talking with Bill Butler because I always thought it was Bill Butler that came up with that term, but it was actually Galo Grady on the set of Spellcaster. And, mm. um, and, that, and we, everything that, from that on, that point on, that, uh, because it was, for instance, on the, where the Ghoulies point, where they, um, Damon and uh, Royal Dano pull up in the semi at night at the gas station. Mm-hmm. They did all these buildings in the back of the back lot to make it look like American Midwest towns. And one of the buildings had a big sign on it that said eating supplies. And like, what the hell <laughs> eating supplies? You go on there. Oh, yes, sir. The saliva's on aisle four and the stomach aisle <laughs> is the end of aisle you know, eight. I mean, what the hell is eating supplies? And uh, this is always kind of in the back of mind because even like Fulcio's from beyond or, or the beyond, uh, there's a scene where they're in the hospital and there's a sign on the door that says, do not entry, you know, and it's that <laughs> kind of little things that we just dubbed as Fugliobucci because everything they tried to do to make it look American. And if they, if they, and it's nothing, it's no fault of theirs, but they, it just missed the mark by just a little bit. And that's a bit of Fuglio. Uh, another <laughs> example too is, is this is, it was, it was really nice on movies too. At one point we were shooting at Thanksgiving, I think in your companion, we have this. They tried to make us an American traditional Thanksgiving dinner and they couldn't figure out what cranberry sauce is. So they put grape jelly on the plate because it looked <laughs> like cranberry sauce, you know, but that was, that was a nice gesture. Though. <laughs> Brilliant. They tried though. What was the, what, what was the sign that you saw, Paul? Was it something like fish with chips or something? What was it? What was oh, it? there's fish chips, just fish chips and Frank's beans. <laughs> yeah. No, and I don't remember those was, uh, supplies stuck in my head, but yeah, all yeah. over the place would be stuff like that. And we, of course, with Butler, we were relentless, and we just we just lap our asses off and make fun of it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we're with like the fairground set on Goody's Two. Um, could you actually go on those rides? I know it was a set. I was on the rides almost every day when I wasn't working really? on a shop. Oh yeah, I mean we had the extras out there. We had the Ferris wheel. Uh, they'd be yeah. filming, and you know, there's. I tried sometimes to like really stop it to see like, oh, was I going to ride in that thing? Am I swinging around? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes because yeah. we used to do everything. So you know, if they needed more extras in the background. Yeah, we're not doing an effect shot. 
get on the ride. What the hell, you yeah. know? So yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a real carnival setup. Yeah. And the amazing thing was, and again, I know you covered this in your companion, but they built that all outside for the outside sets, and then they needed yeah. all inside for all the rest of it. And to think about that, that was pretty pretty yeah. big. Deal. Yeah. Oh, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How, do you remember how like big Satan's den was itself? Because in the movie, it seems to have so many rooms. Oh well, like, the yeah. uh, the exterior was just yeah. you know facade and the soundstage. But yeah, I think it almost took up another entire soundstage. Yeah, because there were all the different rooms, and they had to make it you know with the flyaway walls. We could get yeah, in there yeah. to film, but they were all the different rooms spread out throughout the soundstage. So it it was pretty huge. Huge, yeah. Wow, you could. Walk through the whole thing, though, right? It was set up like an actual walkthrough. Um, it was set up with, as far as I remember, there were some sections that were where you could do it a walkthrough, but most of it was individual rooms because we had to have the room where the ghoulies attack demon and uh, uh, Royal Dano and stuff like that mm-hmm. there, and mm-hmm. that was like you know the three walls, uh, so we can get the camera and the effects and stuff like that. So it wasn't all; they were all set up as individual sets for the most part. With, you know, obviously the uh, hallways, so it looks like you went from one to the other. So it wasn't like one giant amusement park set. It was actually individual sound, you know, individual sets. Yeah. You know, Mike, you really should have been in there with your camera and taking some pictures because of <laughs> nothing of <laughs> that. The problem with that is I didn't have a flash, so I did probably take some interior shots, but they're mm-hmm. all blurry. Because, yeah. you know, you had, a, you know, yeah. all the camera really still. And back then, you know, it was film cameras you know which what, what i what i'm used to is film is uh there were no digital cameras back that back in that time no no yeah but they look great because of it you know but you're i think you're the only person i've ever come across who's actually pretty much documented you know his time on set no one takes no one took cameras with them it seemed like like billy butler said he didn't appreciate how how good you had it at the time you know yeah but did you appreciate how good you had it um I definitely appreciated the opportunity because, you know, I'm talking like, like I said, I was like for two years working just regular jobs, like working at a bookstore, working at a bank. And then by happenstance, one phone call from Mitch Devane, I'm on a plane to go into Spain. And then after, because of what we did in Spain and they, they liked us there, Bill and I were in Italy for the next three years and I had no address. So I appreciated to a certain extent that, yeah, I went from starving to like, Okay, I'm barnstorming through Europe and I'm getting fed really, really well. I'm working on movies and occasionally shit's blowing up around me. So yeah, I was really happy that I appreciated it. Now, I didn't always think that the movies we were working on, we were working on were that good. We always, we always wanted to be like, God, I wish we could make this better or something like that. But then the budget and, you know, and Albert, and it's nothing against Albert, but Albert was like very workmanlike. He was, he was great to work with, by the way. And I love working with Albert. But, you know, his uh, usual line on set was like, okay, let's shoot this piece of shit, you know. And then <laughs> one set, he's to the other and just keep going. So, um, uh, did, um, well, uh, I'm curious actually then, because I know, uh, I think a couple of people have said that, um, Albert wasn't that interested in shooting a lot of the, uh, sort of the ghoulie shots. And, uh, mm-hmm. I know Beekler came back and did a, a, a lot of that. Kind of similar yeah. to, I guess, what he did on Spellcaster, right? Was there any, reason why or why do you think it was that you know uh john beekler it kind of fell to him to kind of you know take up the slack in in the direction um well the thing was is that beekler you know that beekler proven himself a troll uh he's made a lot of money for charlie and 
And quite frankly, Albert was more concerned about the actors and things like that. And the ghoulie stuff is time-consuming, second-unit type thing anyhow, because you're trying to set up puppet shots and do stuff. And Albert was more focused on the principal photography. So it was just natural split of uh, of uh, duties. They did hire um, a guy, and I don't quite remember his name, to shoot some second-unit stuff. And um, I don't think either he either didn't care or didn't quite get it. So when John Beaker wasn't there, it was literally, it was Bill, it was uh, John Criswell, it was Ken Hall, myself. We were all literally setting up the shots. And I wouldn't say second unit directing, but at least urging them and say, hey, look, we could do this. And then we try to get all these different shots in. And we, again, try to make more for what they had time and money for. So mm-hmm. it was a collaborative effort. It was really kind of cool because we... We were just like, we could, we want to do more. And, you know, if they let us, we did. Oh, yeah. Well, you said before that you wanted to kind of, you know, not recreate the Googlies, but you wanted, they obviously evolved from the first movie to the second movie. Yeah. And I guess that, you know, the success of other little rubber monster movies kind of pushed you into kind of upping your game, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Cause, you know, you're going up against the likes of Gremlins mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, Falling on us to make it happen because basically that's what these people people are going to go to the movies to see is to see little rubber monsters, you know, kill other people and see what the hell they're going to do. That's 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 the joy of those kind of movies, and we wanted to try to deliver that as much as we could. It must have been a lot like a working holiday in that in that sense then. <laughs> a little bit because you know what the thing was, I, 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 again in your in your uh, in, in your book, but it was like our personalities on our crew came out with with the ghoulies as much as possible. And the ghoulies were a bunch of little obnoxious little shits that were causing a lot of trouble. And that's kind of how we were. And we, we just tried to get all that on film. And it was kind of a natural progression, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, did you get to have some good free time? Because that was in Rome, wasn't it? Ghoulies too. Oh, yeah. So you got to spend some time seeing the sights and stuff. Did you ever take any props of you on a night out or anything like that? Or <laughs> to scare no, anyone? No, no, no. But, but when I... Uh, when I was done with the project, uh, I did have a cat ghoulie and a fish ghoulie I brought home with me. Because the fish ghoulie I wanted, because he's the one that tore off my arm. So I wanted to keep <laughs> Yeah. But I had a cat ghoulie, and it was I had it in my leather jacket when I was flying back, because uh, it was in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And I had just had the head sticking out. And I remember going through the, <laughs> uh, uh, in New York, we landed in JFK, I believe, and then fly back to L.A. And then the... Uh, Security woman started yelling at me like, "You can't take a cat on this airplane." <laughs> no, it's fake. And then I had it like through this whole thing. So yeah, there are moments like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and as for having time off in Italy, uh, there's one thing about the Italians: they they work hard. But at seven o'clock, they turned off the lights, and everybody got the hell out of the studio. They they did not want to work overtime. There was no working on weekends. There was none of that. Um, right. You know, even night shoots were kind of like very few and far between because. Yeah. They just wanted to work their sets hours and go home. Yeah. So that's what we had all the weekends for ourselves. We go into Rome, uh, with everybody. Uh, we had one, there was one time there was five of us crammed in a car. Criswell was driving and our hotel and the studio is about an hour outside of Rome. Mm-hmm. And Criswell was driving like a bat out of hell. And we're flying up the road and all of a sudden, you know, I think it was Ken Hall or Bill Butler. I'm like, wow, these Italians are really, really nice. They're all waving to us, you know, and <laughs> so, you know, we're driving by, we're waving back. It wasn't until we got to the parking lot in Rome that we realized that the fire had blown out 
and Griswold was driving at the rim, and sparks were shooting out of the back of the car, and they were all trying to warn us that the car was going to catch on fire. Brilliant. This was in a. Did you say this was? Oh, you said Thanksgiving, so you shot in November, December. Oh, good yeah. too, right? So yeah. was that actually a, like an eight-week shoot? Because that's that's generous for for a movie, you know, of this budget. I would say, yeah, because it was Elbert too, because Elbert got a little more leeway and stuff. Um, yeah, I want to say that it, it, in my mind, it seems to me it was at least probably a six to eight week shoot because I remember being yeah. there for quite a while. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it was a, uh, it was elaborate, and we had the time for them to bring the the carnival from the outside to the inside, and and Giovanni Natalucci's sets. You know, there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff built for that. There was a yeah, there, that was quite a bit, yeah. Did you uh, did you stay on one project at once, or did at any time did you jump between different things happening? Oh, we were always jumping between different things. Um, it was funny. I I tried to record it on my TV a movie called The Caller that Charlie Band did back then with Malcolm McDowell. I'd never seen it. Oh I yeah, it was on TV, and I, I mm-hmm. tried to record it, but it didn't record. But I think we shot that one weekend while we were shooting something, because we would sometimes shoot two or three films at the same time on the sound stages. Yeah. Okay. We need to do a bit here or Charlie would come in. We're doing stuff for evil clergymen, you know, this day. And <laughs> since the crew and cast were there, we would just jump from one to the other. But for the most part, we did one at a time, but there were some occasions where it did split over. I think, I think the call is on YouTube. Is it? I, think I just so. want to see the I'm ending. sure I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> Because we did the meltdown. Griswold did the uh, uh, mechanical hand, and I made the uh, gelatin skin on top of it. We went in one. Yeah, that was a rare Saturday. We went in, and we had to do the meltdown uh, with. Um, I mean, I've never seen that gag. I've never seen it done, so I don't know how we did. It's. I think it's the only gag in the movie. It's literally just. It's quite sort of just a drum, sort of a thriller, and then it just at the end it goes. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so you meant you mentioned um, the evil clergyman, and I know you were you're listed as a puppeteer on that. So I'm assuming, did you puppet the rat? I shouldn't remember puppeteering uh, the rat with uh, David because, yeah, because David was in that the rat suit, and I remember he had the little mechanical uh, David Gale rat that Mitch Devane sculpted as well, <laughs> and um, so we had that that we were puppeteering, and then we had David Gale in the big rat suit, and I think I remember I was on the Raptors making his tail whip back and forth, and then the Italians made a giant Barbara Crampton butt that uh, David Gale was actually biting in the rat suit. Um, my <laughs> memories of that one are kind of sketchy. Uh, for me, the big thrill was working with David Warner, because uh, I was a, a big Peckinpah fan, and I know he worked with Peckinpah a lot, and uh, he was gracious enough to sit there and talk to me about that. And, yeah, he was a really cool guy. And then I worked with him again later on on uh, Beastmaster 3, of all things, where I played one of the monsters <laughs> that thing. And, uh, but, yeah, um, and then Jeffrey and Barbara were there. And, you know, it, those guys, we worked with them so many times at that point that, you know, it was like, it's all, all those guys. I mean, they were more like friends than they were like co-actors and stuff like that because we used to just hang out. They're the other ones. Like, and from, yeah, we'd hang out in a row with them. Stuff. It was, uh, and occasionally back in LA, we'd hang out too, you know, when that time came. So there seemed to be a lot of um, dangerous stunts and effects in uh, in Ghoulies too. I know Kerry Remsen said that they tried to have her climb the Ferris wheel at some point without a, a stunt person, but there were quite a few precarious instances uh, for the effects crew uh, in the movie that you've told me about before. I don't know whether or not you want to. 
Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, for me, that was the fun stuff. That yeah. was the thing like, wow, we're doing something kind of cool that just to get the shot on camera. Yeah, because we they needed the fish goalie to pretend to be like unscrewing one of the carts on one of the spinny rides or something like that that brings yeah. up and down. And so the Italians literally cobbled together a bench for John Cruz all out of clamps and wood. And they clamped it to the arm of this ride. It was raising up and down and spinning. And Crizzle was sitting on there underneath the cart, puppeteering the fish buoy. And then Bill Butler and I, because we only had, I think, eight to ten feet of the cables for the, the making the eyes and the, the facial expressions. So we were laying on top of the cart behind the one that Criswell was on, you know, in the air, uh, doing the cable controls while this whole thing was spinning around. And yeah, there was... Wasn't a lot of safety concerns and stuff like that. <laughs> we climbed on the damn thing and got the shot, and then we moved on. We didn't think much of it. It was actually kind of fun and a challenge. And I have, yeah. that, was the, that was the fun stuff. Except the uh, the dunk tank for the for the clown, man, I, I was dreading that because it wasn't the dead of winter and there was no heat. That water was cold. Yeah. And I I did that the first time with the bozo gets in there, and and then they said the next day they're going to shoot the other stuff. I goes, guys, you got to heat this up somewhere because this is. You know, Titanic. You know, it's like don't yeah. let go. <laughs> that was good. You actually, I think before you said that a lot of your performance there was kind of, kind of a uh, amplified by um, oh Debbie Dion. Debbie, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, what was, was another one? She was, you know, great person. You know, she was really, really funny at the time. She's and she was just off to the side, you know, uh, prompting me. You know, go bigger, go bigger. It's like, all right, what the hell? Let's do it. And it's like. I, that was one of the few things that I thought actually uh, as a acting thing. It's actually there was actually a couple of funny lines in there, and I thought, oh, that's that's pretty good. But like you say, that was another scene where a lot of it was cut out because I had I was doing my own effects rigs, and I had all kind of like blood pumping stuff going on. And uh, I want to hesitate to say that we actually showed the arm get ripped off. I don't think we ever did, but there was it was definitely more gory than what was going on. I think the fish even started eating my arm after he chewed it off. And there's one scene where you see, where in one version, maybe on the VHS or something, where you actually see the arm with bites taken out of it floating up in front of the ghoulie. And then I think on the DVD, they optically zoom in so you don't see the arm cut out a lot of the blood. So, that, yeah. yeah, there's something like that going on. But yeah. NSM, the Austrian company released the sort of the fullest version uh of, of Gruz 2 and it did have it had done all this stuff in which was nice to finally see it back in because we got the um we got a slightly longer version than the US originally on video. Yeah. It was it was almost like a slightly cut R rated version. Yeah. Um yeah. but well I don't know, I think through the advent of DVD, everything just became the same. And for for years, we we you know, yeah. we had the kind of neutered PG thirteen version, which obviously you know many people fell in love with. But you always just felt there was more, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I know that we shot a lot more. Yeah, there's something I read in one of the uh, I forgot who it was, uh, William Wilson's book too. Is it true that they cut out all the uh, the ninja throwing star stuff in the UK version for yeah. movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, there was a big thing. We weren't allowed anything to do with ninjas. So, uh, yeah, they cut that completely out from their first version. It was like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We had to call it Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles in the UK. So, yeah, it was crazy times. But the gore was fine. We had we had, we had a lot of the extra gore, but they cut out the throwing stars for some reason. Yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I noticed, I knew that there were like some countries were really, uh, even Canada, like here, you hear stories about how they cut out all the gore in Canada that and they x-rayed a lot of these movies and stuff that, you know, the stuff that we did was completely like never, never going to be seen anywhere in some of these countries. So uh, yeah. us and Germany, I think, suffered the most in terms yeah. of that kind of thing. Because they did, they did submit the, the uncut version in the UK. Um, but I think he got an 18 and they wanted to get 15. So they just sort of trimmed a couple of bits out, but it was, it wasn't as bad as what it became, you know? No. Although, although, um, although you probably weren't around for it. I don't know, but I know like one of, um, Dennis Paoli's like last scripts, like I can only assume it was the shooting script had a lot more, um, uh, sort of character development and that kind of thing in it. Did, did you, was, was anything that you were aware of taken out that perhaps wasn't, down to a gore, but just more sort of story elements? Uh, a lot of the times with the story elements, um, that was usually being rewritten as the movies were being made. Because what would happen is that people are shopping, I get we get the script in, I'd read the script and break it down with John and we'd come up with the effects. Um, and then as we get to the set, the the stories, the, the scripts would be rewritten kind of like a whole bunch of times before we start shooting. But one thing is they usually kept the gags intact. Um, that's mm-hmm. one thing that happened with uh, that movie Prison. Because I remember reading the prison script and going like, outside of a thing of like these hands coming out of a pot of chili that was kind of like goopy, I really loved that script. And, then, you know, I even, you know, I, I've been friends with Courtney for years after that. I, you know, I always told him that. But somehow it got a little muddled as they were filming it because the original script, I remember, made a lot of sense and it understood why Vigo's character looks like the character in the movie. Right? It, it made a lot more sense, but the, it changed. And we didn't necessarily get a prize of all these uh, versions because the effects stayed the same. So that's that's the same thing. And the same with Ghoulies, too, because in the beginning they had the kids stealing, like, I think, a police car and driving through the carnival and running over the Ghoulies or some kind of thing and crashing into all this stuff. It's like that's probably the version we based our, our um, uh, effects on. And then they yeah. kept rewriting it. And and I think that the reason that we had the big fish ghoulie uh, was they were going to try to do some forced perspective or some oversized sets so that the ghoulie would walk around, but we didn't end up doing that, and the script got rewritten around, so we ended up using the giant fish ghoulie for the finale, which I never think was meant to be. So it was all kind of made up on the spot. Yeah, yeah. What's always confused me is wondering what at some point, I mean, the the script you said the, your effects script um, is so substantially different from anything that ended up on the screen. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious as to uh, when they were going to use the the, the 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 costume as you know like a part of an oversized set or whatever. I'm like, well, at that point, what was the ending going to be? And apparently, all I know is that it was rewritten on set, but no one seems to know what it originally was. Yeah, I, I, I think I sent you that version that I had, and I don't even remember. I think the version I had, the, the original ending was, like I said, they, they got in a police car, and they, I want to say they ran over some of the ghoulies or something, or crashed into the car. I, I don't I don't even remember. Yeah, that, 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 that script that you sent me, it's um uh, at the end, that's when sort of the monsters of Satan's den come to life, and like the big uh, demon on the top comes down and starts oh, grabbing people. Right. So you're like, okay, that's gonna be expensive. Like you can understand why they kind of toned this thing down, but <laughs> yeah. still, yeah. there's still this sort of discrepancy between drafts that just, you know, doesn't make any sense to me. One day we'll find out what it is. 
I, I mean, I was there and I couldn't tell you because we were just too busy shooting the movie at that point. It's like, oh, this is the ending now? Okay, fine, we'll shoot the ending. Now, one thing about that suit, though, the big Fisherly suit, they had to blow that up twice because that thing would not explode. And all the electrons that made that thing good. They had those black powder chargers in there. And it expanded a lot and smoke came out, but it couldn't actually explode. And I think they had to do it at least two or three times. Oh, wow. so it, was the, it was the actual suit they blew up. It wasn't like a mock-up or anything. Oh, no, no. It was the actual suit. And I think that the first time they did it, it just kind of expanded like a Warner yeah. Brothers tune and then came back down. And then it started, <laughs> they started cutting it out and cutting out sections. And even that, it was still so well together, it wouldn't blow apart. So I think I think that it's probably a combination of two or three different takes where finally at the end, we just basically had a pile of green stuff that we just kind of had on that yeah. bench. <laughs> yeah, I think there's an optical there somewhere as well, but uh, so, yeah. you never know. <laughs> I am, um, yeah. I mean, aside from uh, the effects work, uh, you know, from 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 a lot of fans' perspective, you're kind of renowned as a, a top suit performer. You know, uh, not just you know from Cellar Dweller, but Gary the Monster from Little Nicky and the Mummy from Tales from the Dark Side, and even Bigfoot from Abominable, which is probably one of the best Bigfoot movies ever made. Is, is how is it? It's a great one. Is it is it a hard job or I mean it can't be comfortable? But does the enjoyment of bringing these things to life make the wearing of the suits sort of bearable? Uh, yeah, I always got a kick out of it. And the, the thing is, like for instance, abominable. Brian Shiffrin gave me a call out of the blue, and he said like, "Well, we're doing this low budget thing. Would you be willing to wear the monster suit for?" And I go, "Yeah, I I, I think so, but." I've been to these monster suits like, do I ever get to turn over a car? And he's like, as a matter of fact, you do. I go, then I'm in. You know, the more destructive I got to do, the better it was. It's like, you know, okay. And, and I was working with, uh, I believe, was a stunt guy. And, you know, a lot of these times it's like, sometimes they wanted to put stunt guys in, but the suit was built for me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not the most athletic person, but I can do this. And I'm, I'm basically surrounded by a foam mattress. So there's not going to be a lot going on. Yeah, I can jump off of this thing. I can land. You can hit me with this. No one, I'm not going to get hurt. You know, so <laughs> yeah, but it's a blast. It, it, Dark side in particular, uh, I had no idea at the time that I was going to be working with an all-star cast when I was doing the mummy thing. I mean, you know, Steve Buscemi and, uh, Chris was there and Julianne Moore, first movie and stuff. And, uh, that suit was very thin foam. And I remember one scene, Julianne Moore is stabbing me with a pair of scissors and they were retractable scissors. But what it was is that the scissor, the blade retracted into the handle, but the point still stuck out. So it only retracted <laughs> so far. So every time she was stabbing me, I was actually getting stabbed a little bit. And I remember that <laughs> end of the day when I took off the suit and I'm like, I had little bloody pock marks on me all those <laughs> But, but it was great for the movie. I mean, you know, it was like she was biting. I was like, this is great. Give me more. Let's do it. Wow. How? Yeah, no, I mean, it's different. Like, I mean, obviously, when you have like a prosthetics on that kind of thing, it must be easier to just take a head off. I mean, is there is it, or, or quite often other suits complicated enough that you can't escape from them during the day? From what I remember for Dark Side, I was glued into all those suits. I mean, and the thing about the, the gargoyle head was that it had all the motors and all the batteries were inside the head. And in order to make it look good, they actually blended the neck piece onto the body. So it was a big deal to try to take the head off. And the big day where we had the, the confrontation with James Remar, which, by the way, I wasn't paying attention to the script when I read it. And we're on the set, and here I am with James Remar going, I love you, and he's saying he loves me. I'm like, 
come on, this is the badass. Eight hours, and we're doing a love scene. This is nonsense. Yeah, that was like a 14, 16 hour day. And I remember that we were inside um, the school, I believe it was, in uh, New York. And I was starting to lose it because you're breathing in your same air. It's really hard to get fresh air in. And I and they had paramedics on the set. And I go, guys, I go, I'm starting to lose it a little bit here. I'm, I'm starting to white out. It's like in between things, I'm not getting enough oxygen. And they literally got an oxygen tank, shoved the tube inside the head. And in between takes, they started pumping in oxygen just so I could finish out the day. <laughs> so there was a certain amount of physical, uh, yeah, physical endurance that had to be involved in these things. I had a similar thing on Arena, too, because one of the big fight scenes at the end, which I'm so glad they let me do that because I loved it. I, and Paul was great to work with. Uh, but, you know, towards the end, I started, I started saying to the it's Italian stunt guy, his name is Remo. I said, dude, I, I just losing my energy because you're sweating your own entire body weight out inside these foam suits. You're locked in it and you're involved with it. It's, and they started um, giving me sugar water and stuff like that. And uh, it just kind of <laughs> keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did for a couple hours, but then finally at a point I said, yeah, I had to tell Peter, I go, dude, I just, I just can't do it. It's been like 14 hours I've been in this suit fighting mm-hmm. the whole time. So when you do, well, I was going to say, the difference between, uh, is there any difference between a low-budget suit and a high-budget suit then? Because I imagine if, if you're doing like Little Nicky with a bigger budget like that, is it the same kind of stuff? It's the same kind of stuff, except you're paid more. Oh, Okay. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's it's a, it's a same because I, I even said this because I remember the one of the funniest stories is that now from beyond at the end of it where Jeffrey Combs and uh, Doctor Pretorius uh, uh, Ted were just basically a blob on the floor, thinking it was something that was cut out, and Bill Butler and I were underneath it, and there was all this rotten methacellulose because it was towards the other thing, and it's dripping on us, and we're under the floor, and it's the most miserable thing ever. And then you cut ahead about 10, 20 years later, I'm at K&B, and I'm, I'm on set for Amistad, and I'm underneath this uh, this sailing ship, and we're puppeteering the captain's legs as the slaves are, like, stabbing him. And so we're under this, and they got the wave machines going on, the rain machine, there's water pouring, then the blood's dripping down on us, you know, pouring down on us. I go, whether it's a low-budget Charlie Band movie or a Spielberg movie, I'm still underneath the floor somewhere getting covered in shit. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going back to Arena quickly. I was going to ask. Obviously, yeah, you you played Horn, like the the big bad guy in the film. Yeah. Um, how was it like suiting up to be him, but also doing effects as well? Because didn't you do other effects on that film as well? Oh yeah, I was uh, I was one of the people heading up Beepler's uh, shop for that. Yeah. So yeah, I was responsible for the effects. And we had again, we had Criswell, we had. Uh, um, uh, you know, Bill Butler wasn't so much on our team because he was acting, but mm-hmm. I was also Shorty's arms in that thing. I heard him. Amper had yeah, the yeah. port. Yeah, so, yeah. like, the first real that film, if you look at it, I, if I, when I'm watching it, it's like, okay, I'm playing Horn, I'm fighting Paul on the TV mm-hmm. screen. I'm also Shorty's arms in all the scenes <laughs> when they're working in the restaurant. Yeah. Plus, I played, like, two or three of the characters, the alien characters in the restaurant. Yeah. Waiting to be served. So I'm in almost every single shot of the first reel of that movie, <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> um, they, they, um, I, I don't want to talk bad or not, but they hired someone that they built the suit on because I was probably uh, on another location. Mm-hmm. And they decided to hire someone else to play Horn, and they built the suit on this this other guy. And uh, I was in Italy at the time, and then the actor showed up, and uh, it was the stunt guy again. I believe his name is Remo, and I don't want to get it wrong. 
but they had the guy, he, Remo was trying to work with the guy to get him to fight. And, um, the guy just could not move in the suit. In an, he was just trying to get him to step and punch and the guy couldn't yeah, yeah. quite get that down. And the stunt guy looked at me and he pulled me aside and said, why aren't you playing this part? And I go, I don't know. They And so literally they went in and, uh, they, they, the, the Italian uh, stunt people and everything made a, made a face. No, Mike plays all these suit monster suits. Let him play the part. They went to Irwin Yvonne's. Irwin talked to the actor. They let him go and they said, okay, you're playing horn. So that was not planned. That was just something that I was upset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I, again, I, I loved it. There was the, um, the first thing and I got to work with the stunt guys. I, I, I love that, that gag from Goldfinger where, uh, the thug is trying to punch, uh, Sean Connery and then Sean Connery ducks and the guy goes over his back and he flips him over. Yeah. And, I said, let's, can we try to do that? And sure enough, that's like one of the first fight moves yeah, yeah. in battle. It's like, <laughs> all right, thank you. Let me get the gold stuff. I'll do whatever you want from now on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's such a good film as well. I wish it would get a Blu-ray release, that one. This seems to be one of the few Empire films that hasn't made it to Blu-ray. And that was huge, too, because those, yeah. I just, I just found a copy on DVD that I, I, I didn't have. It's really washed out. It's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like the whole scene where he goes into where uh, Paul Satterfield goes in where he's like his room or whatever, and it's that big giant three story set. But they, yeah, they booked that for that movie. It was like it was really impressive. The whole mm-hmm. thing was impressive. Um, the thing about the the, the old classic story about the uh, extras and the cardboard cutout, yeah, well, yeah. that's all true. But the extras were like uh, these Polish refugees or something like that. They were from a refugee camp somewhere like right. outside Rome. And they would bust them in every day, and that was that was part of their thing. It, it, that, that's what, it was. It was just really weird that they were busting in refugees to be extras in that thing. So they were really <laughs> Polish. And, you know. Well, um, a lot of this, a lot of this. I mean, to be fair, throughout your career, uh, you worked with John Beekler, who obviously you know, sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But um, yeah. you worked with him as well on on uh, many sort of heavy horror hitters, you know. Um, Ghoulies, Halloween 4, Friday the 13th, 7, Bride Reanimator. I mean, would you mind sort of talking a little bit about your relationship with, with John and what was it, what has been like working with him over the years? Uh, not at all. I mean, um, honestly, I really miss John, uh, a lot. John, John took me under his wing and when he started, um, when I, I got a phone call from my out of the blue one day and randomly said on the phone, I'm dying. And I'm like, what? And then I immediately called Bill and we went out to see him and he he enjoyed Bill and I so much that he wanted us to get all of the people that used to work with him together to come see him and because he knew that he was on his last days and stuff like that. But going ahead in the happy notes, yes, we had a blast. I mean, John and I didn't always see eye to eye. I love the man. He gave me so many opportunities. Um, one of the things that's not very, really well known, and it sounds, probably sounds like bullshit now, but, um, because I was doing, just going back to doing the suit stuff, when John got the job to, uh, call to do Friday the 13th, part seven, he came up to me and says, Mike, I want you to play Jason. And I'm like, okay, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. And we got the script and we were reading it and we were determining that there's like these old burns and all this kind of stuff. And, 
John and I made the decision together, and this is not this is not crap that we had just got done working with Kane, and we thought Kane Hodder probably would have been a better choice because they would have had to hire a stuntman and me to play Jason. Where if they just hired Kane, um, then he could do all the stunts yeah. and all the things as well. So mm. I said, you know, you know, it makes more sense that I'll just go ahead and do your other stuff there, which in mm. hindsight is probably maybe stupid on my part, but at the same point, it made sense for it. But yeah. it it's nice. It's nice to know that at one point I was supposed to be Jason. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and and the fact that I'm not I'm not disappointed at all in how it worked out. But John mm-hmm. was great. We uh, working together with him side by side on the spellcaster. We had a great time. Mm-hmm. John gave so many people in the industry their starts. Uh, the K and B guy, Bob Kurtzman, you know Howard Berger. Uh, you know, John Bull, which all these people, everybody at least one point, Aaron, Aaron Kruger is another one that, you know, all went through there. And John was completely gracious. And I actually learned a lot from him. But then towards the end, it was like, okay, John, let's try to up our game a little bit too. Because I started to, yeah, to be a young, smart ass upstart. Um, I, I cannot <laughs> say enough positive stuff about John. And, and, you know, when I did my projects, he was always willing to help out. He was always a phone call away. He did another movie where one of the actors bowed out at the last minute. says, you have a suit? I'm like, yeah. Could you come out the set tomorrow and you're just the assistant lawyer to, to Bernie Capel? I'm like, okay, sure. You know, it's like one of those <laughs> things. It was, that, it was that kind of relationship. It was really good. Am I going on too much? Am I too mushy now? No. no not at all. Not at all. I love it. <laughs> did he, did, did uh, John kind of, I don't want to say evolve, but did, did he, did he change over the years when he kind of sort of, I don't know, he dipped his toes in directing and FX for the whole thing, but um, was he always, that big kid in the candy store. Yeah, John. John was definitely, uh, yeah, definitely. He he was into this stuff more than you'd possibly know. Um, and he was also fiercely independent, even if it wasn't for his own best interest. Um, I remember having a conversation with him, and it's like not. I'm not saying like you know I'm his mentor. We we were friends enough so we can have a conversation. And he had the opportunity to join join the Directors Guild uh, after doing Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. And I said to him, I go, John, really, this is, you really need to take this opportunity. And, you know, you have a potential, you could be, if anything is wrong, you could actually do television, you could do whatever, you could build up a pension, get health insurance, all this kind of thing. And he's like, no, I want to stay independent because I want to do my own projects. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it was a, the greatest idea at the time, but he was that, that fiercely independent about that thing that he was going to do what he wanted to do. And it's like, I don't hold it against him. I go, God bless him for having that kind of thing. But, you know, I, at, towards the end, I kind of wish he had. But, you know, that's that's the kind of guy he was. But he was always a kid in the candy store. It, when Spielberg called up about uh, Indiana Jones and the last crusade, I think it was, and, uh, to, and to reanimate some of the animals in the circus train or something like that. And then, of course, people are like, after that, thought, yes, the door's right open. So he started sending scripts to Spielberg and trying to get him to finance him. <laughs> movies and things like that so yeah he was always optimistic always out there and honestly just a really genuinely great guy you you might know this then um i know i think the last project he was working on was was uh, called wizard dream which hasn't seen the light of day yet have you any idea whether or not we'll we'll kind of see that at some point uh, i gotta say that no I, I i don't know anything about that um Oh. Unfortunately, you know, we've gone our separate ways and stuff like that. And the last time I really had a chance to sit with John was, um, 
at the Monster Palooza the last year. I actually was kind of terrified to go there, and I went to Monster Palooza, and I, I just don't like crowds. It was kind of a horrifying experience. And I saw John there at a table. I go, hey, John, can I sit with you for a while? He said, yeah, come on. And it's like, <laughs> Ian Otter was next door, and then Denise Crosby, and somehow she seemed to remember me from Eliminators and all this kind of stuff, so we actually had a okay time. Uh, but, yeah, I did not know what projects he was on. And then, like I say, it was probably like a little over a year later when I got the call, and I just found out he was sick, so I really can't answer that question. What were you? What were you doing there? Were you you were you were um, uh, on a panel, I guess, right? No, no, I wasn't no? even on a panel. I just kind of went as a civilian, and I went mm-hmm. with a, a couple that I work with now, um, Guy Cleve and his wife Kiana, and uh, and I started getting. I, I was just uncomfortable crawling out of my skin, but they were having a blast because they were saying like, "My God, all the people that are sitting behind the table, you know, waiting to give autographs, are coming out behind the table to say hi to you," and it's like. Well, it's not a big deal. We all worked together throughout the years, so it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, and they were kind of impressed by that, and I was like, eh, I don't know. I've always been terrified. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought about sometimes maybe trying to get it, but I just kind of figured I'm going to be the guy sitting there, you know, all alone, sad, like trying to look around, like somebody please know who I am, come up or so. And I kind of like stayed away from it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, obviously, you know, at the moment there's nothing going on, but when, when the world kind of like kick starts again, uh, you'd be welcome with open arms, Mike. Yeah, definitely. Bring Fish Goody with you. He'll get more on help. He'll want his autograph more than the one <laughs> That's all right. Still goes in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned James Bond so a little while ago, and, uh, that's my only way to get to this, but, um, <laughs> I've tried, I, Paul hasn't watched them. I sent him a link. I said, you've got to watch, um, Mike's Phil Mato, uh, trailers <laughs> because I love seeing these. Um, just to, tell Paul what they are. Well, I'll give you the short story, but, but the Phil, Phil, Phil Mato, Phil Mato, it, those are, I'm just a big fan of the, uh, uh, Eurospy, uh, stuff from the sixties, the James Bond knockoff, which, I wish there's IMDb and computers back when I did Arena because I was working with Ken Clark and I had no idea. I didn't, right. I didn't even know about Ken Clark movies until years later. Uh, my, my girlfriend Lindsay got me a box set and I never saw these before and I was like, Oh my God, these are excellent. Then I realized I worked with this guy in Italy and I could have like, <laughs> I, I firsthand. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, I, I just my version of a sixties, uh, Euro spy kind of thing. Um, uh, I, and I've been going, uh, for the company I work for at Steve Wine now. I've been going around the world a lot, setting up these video game displays and things. And, um, so I bring my 16 millimeter camera and shoot footage as well. So I shot some stuff in, uh, uh, you know, Korea and then Paris and then Cologne, Germany. And then just recently I had to go to Istanbul and, uh, I went to Japan. So I have some footage sitting in the can of Japan and Istanbul, which Istanbul, of course, is the, uh, the cradle of the Euro spy movie. So <laughs> there'll be probably another one coming out, but I'm getting a little long in a tooth. It's kind of like Roger Moore at the last James Bond movie. It's like, nah, you're a little too old dude for this kind of thing. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll some of the earlier footage and put that for close. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm definitely checking. But in the longer version of it is like, uh, another friend of mine is unfortunately a lot of my friends in this business, a lot of people in this business are, a lot of them died young. And I remember, um, uh, Motohara, who I'd worked with on The Giver, uh, he passed away some years ago and I'd, I'd love to, like, could, uh, you know, kind of tribute to him. 
Then I had shot a thing called uh, Marlin Man, which is like a giant mar- half man, half Marlin destroying Tokyo. I built miniatures and shot it with high speed film. And I had Moto in there as, as an extra. And I, I said, all right, well, I'll cut that together as a trailer and put it up on YouTube as a little hat tip to it. And um, then I just kept doing it. So I have like a bunch of 50s science fiction, black and white, and then some 60s Euro spy stuff. And yeah, it's just, a, it's just an expensive hobby that yeah. since I'm not really doing that much in the film industry now, you know, something for me to do on the side, keep me sane. <laughs> oh, it's great to see. Um, if yeah. anyone's looking for this channel, it's called Some Manner of. Just search that and you'll find all these fantastic um, trailers. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, uh, <laughs> Mike, do you know Mike Gaglio? Yes. Yeah, he's a very good Wonderful. Friend of mine. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. No, it's because one of the comments on, on, on my favorite trailer, the deviation one, it says. <laughs> Um, wow, that's amazing. Where did you find this? I saw it during its original release in 1961. And I'm thinking, okay, he's either in on the joke here or someone is clueless. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's in half those trailers. Mike, Mike oh, is there you go, my regular uh, friend. He's been a friend of mine for years and uh, he's in a lot of those trailers too, you know. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny because there's a lot of people now that unfortunately, like my, my good friend Matt Rose, you know, he just passed away a few years ago too, and he was in one of them, and he also was the responsible for the deviation one with the the pull wire gag and the the wax build up with his forehead. He did that with me, you know. So it's a it's a good chance to reconnect with a lot of my friends from the industry, a lot of friends outside of the industry, and just have like an afternoon of just being kids again and playing around. Yeah. That's great. I love the end. I love the last sort of the last part of it with all the sort of satanic skulls and stuff in sort of what looks like kind of catacombs. That's fantastic. <laughs> all, all shot in my backyard. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah. You're watching it. And I'm thinking, well, he must have had quite a bit of time in his hands when he was in Paris to shoot all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was lucky for Paris because I had a crew of two other people or three other people. Uh, but when I was in Istanbul, I was alone, so all I could do was get established shots because there's no way I could, I can't hold the camera out of the woods. <laughs> it's not so it's not like just press the button and walk away. It's like, no, it's, and, and that's another thing too. I had to be dedicated because the film camera is heavy and to carry that around internationally and stuff like that, it's like, uh, so I think I'm not going to be doing much of it anymore. Oh, well, hopefully we'll use the footage that you've got because, uh, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> and by the way, thank you for the plug. I'm not used to this uh, social media stuff. This being this is my first podcast, so yeah. I didn't. I'm not smart enough to know. I'm not going to make any money on that thing. But it's nice to have the plug. Thank you. <laughs> we don't make any money on this, but um, you heard it here first. This is an exclusive <laughs> from Michael Dick. Um, yeah, no, I've come off a lot of social media because uh, it drives me crazy. So you know, I don't blame you. But it's worth it's worth going and having a look at that because I mean, I don't. I mean, you 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 mentioned a couple of movies that. You recommend like Danger Diabolique and stuff like that, which oh, yeah. I still haven't got around to watching. But rewatching your trailers again, it does make me go, yeah, you know what? I really need to start watching this stuff because it's just gone, it's just completely passed me by, you know? Well, no, I mean, it's one of those things is like, uh, I'm just striving to try to get to the level of something like a Danger Diabolique or, uh, I mean, because some of those movies are really pathetically uh, pitiful. And I think I got that part down. But the ones that sometimes have these moments of brilliance, that's what I'm working towards, you know? <laughs> moments of brilliance. They're all charming. That's the main thing. <laughs> Paul, have you, have you got anything left uh, that you need to, to uh, ask, Mike, before we wrap this um, up? Yeah, a question about if you need to go to college, if that's okay. Um, yeah. I see on IMDb you're down as location ghoulie operator. 
I just kind of wondered what, what exactly that sort of entailed. And um, you got any yeah, fun stories from the set of that one? <laughs> Unfortunately, when the Ghoulies uh, go to college, I don't have a tremendous amount because I think at that point I was actually, I, well, I don't remember what year it was, but whatever it was, I was probably working on six other things. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going out to set for uh, this stuff for, you know, whenever I was available. So uh, yeah, yeah. I remember that there's only one story I remember that I, I, I wanted some breakaway glass for some of my uh, personal projects. And there's a mm-hmm. scene where the three ghoulies are supposed to jump through a window together and then look like they jumped through and landed. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I rigged them all together with a, a fishing line and I put a big aluminum uh, bar inside the middle one. And I told the producer, I go, if I can get this on the first take, could I have all the backup pieces of breakaway glass in the window? He goes, <laughs> okay, you got a deal. And so I got down there and said, damn, this better work. And I launched it <laughs> up from underneath. They smashed through the window perfectly and landed. I go, okay, I get to keep my glass now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Ian Patterson, I think, was that uh, produced that. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> again, Tim Ralston did a great job with the, the ghoulies on that one were much larger. And they're yeah. a lot more. Because Tim Ralston did a great job with the mechanics and made the, I think it was a Boon Raku rat, so they could actually have it walking across the floor and um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was some some pretty good stuff. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't on set a lot for that. I mm-hmm. was there days with um, Kevin McCarthy, yeah. uh, which is his greatest huge fan. I did work with him on Sleeping Car as well, mm-hmm. and you know the whole time it was like every time we did a shot with him, it's like. Please let him be in front of a camera with a fisheye lens with a piece of drip of water dangling off his nose. Brilliant. Um so obviously you worked on you had you worked on the first three Goody's films. Um what you thought thoughts on Ghoulies 4 and did that offer ever come your way of working on it or did you I didn't I didn't even know there was a Ghoulies 4 in Yeah. That's the thing. I I you know, at that point too, it was like, there's a lot of things like my girlfriend is, is kind of amazed that there's a lot of movies during the eighties that she was, you've never seen Karate Kid? I go, no, because at that point, fortunately, I was working on so yeah. much stuff for certain periods of time that I never really went to the movies and did stuff I was actually working on. Them. And so there's like big gaps in my life where it's like, no, I never saw that or I was here or I was living, I was living wrong or I was, you know, doing stuff for, K and B are spending eight months on Transformers out in the desert in uh, New Mexico yeah, yeah. or something like that. It's, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't really remember a lot about movies for, uh, I never saw it and I, mm-hmm. and I, I heard rumor that they were doing it with little people, but that's, that's yeah. all I remember at the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They did. <laughs> you know, I, I watched Tootsie for the first time today. Really? Wow. Yeah. I've never seen Tootsie. And I'm like, well, it's, a, it's like an 80s classic. I've never seen it. I've seen the trailer. And yeah. uh, great, you know, but there's still plenty of stuff out there that, you know, we haven't seen, you know. Does this, <laughs> yeah. does this mean that now, um, you know, you're you're taking some time to actually sort of catch up on <laughs> the decade that you missed? Well, I mean, sometimes it's like because uh, since we're all COVID safe and the only people we interact with are our neighbors because we're all getting COVID tested every five minutes. Um uh, they started watching that Cobra Kai, which is one of the reasons why we ended up watching Karate Kid because they're all laughing at the inside jokes. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure it's funny here. I don't know, but then you guys have to see it. Um, another one back years ago was like Fatal Attraction was everybody who made the comp never saw it. There's, there's so yeah. many of those classic 
80s movies that I never saw because I was in Europe the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Wow. Have you seen Fatal Attraction now? Yes, I have. Okay. Yes. I, I yeah. watched it recently. Like, I'd never seen it before, yeah? And mm. I don't know whether or not you thought the same, Mike, but <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a psycho. He deserved it. He cheated on his wife. He deserved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so There's away. a lot of movies like that. It's like, well, I don't necessarily see what's wrong with this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, falling Down is one. If, um, falling Down is a film you can kind of relate to the, the main character now, can't you? <laughs> Somewhat. That game, game, game falling down. It's like um, okay. It's just some. I don't know. I, it, when I initially saw like um, uh, Gran Torino, I was kind of like, "Is this?" Um, oh, sorry. My, I thought my dog was just throwing up on the carpet, but he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like you know, Clint Eastwood doing an apology, you know, kind of thing for all those dirty hairy years. But then after watching it again, I'm like, no, nah, he's not apologizing for anything. It's like pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should never apologize for that. No, no. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, aside from the the Billy Butler um, uh, Lovecraft, was it a series? This this thing is that you just worked on. It's, it's, it was like basically the first two episodes of a potential series. So they're going to put the first two episodes out, I think, next month. And all right, yeah. because, uh, now I'm learning. This is how quick learner I'm. It's for Miskatonic U, the Resonator. <laughs> I believe it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they we shot in, in the five days, they shot the, the first two episodes or something like that. So mm. I was only out there for a little bit doing some illegal um, flashes and sparks and things like that. But, you know, it was just to help out a friend. You know, <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> five days. It's, it's, it's quite substantially uh, smaller um, schedules now than it was back in 86 oh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I got to give Bill credit though. I mean, he he's going out there. He's some good, you know. He he tears through this stuff. I, I've seen him on a few projects now, like uh, Ginger Dead Man Three and stuff like that, where he just goes there. He has no money, no time, and he just he knocks this shit out. And he's he's actually pretty good at it. And the Miskatonic thing, I don't know. There there might be a little something to that because I don't know if it was nostalgia because we all worked on From Beyond together, mm-hmm. but it was like a little bit like. Maybe Stuart Gordon was floating around somewhere, you know, kind of yeah. like guiding hand or something. That's cool. And you're not, yeah. and you're not at all um, worried about any kind of um, uh, revelations to come out of Billy's book. Uh, I already told Bill that I ordered two copies. One's coming to me, and one's going to the lawyer. And uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens after that. He assured me that there's going to be nothing horrible in it, and there's one kind of. It's it, it's a story that is actually too funny to him not to print. So it's like, yeah, it's okay. I can I can because no one knows who the hell I am anyhow. So it's not going to make any difference any to the other. Oh, we all know who you are, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'll be surprised. But sometimes, you know, yeah, well, well, I'll see what I'm kind of curious to see what's going to be in Bill's book. But there's there's I know that there's a lot more heavy hitters that is a lot worse stuff than I ever did. So. <laughs> Well, I hope to see some more stuff. I mean, you know, I know you say you're kind of taking it easy now and you're busy with other things, but I hope there's more filmato and I hope there's more work with Billy and, you know, there's more things to come. Yeah. I mean, um, like I say, we're, we're doing a lot more stuff over at Steve's shop. We're, you're doing more film stuff than we had done before. I, I, uh, obviously the Bill and Ted, we built the robot suit for the last Bill and Ted thing. And then I went, uh, and this is the kind of a little 
sad thing, but I went on set for a Melissa McCarthy movie we did a gag for, and I think I'm under a non-disclosure not to discuss it. But it was one of those things where they really, it wasn't me personally, they just didn't want to have anybody doing physical effects anywhere. They didn't seem to be interested in doing any physical effects on the set. I mean, mm. I had rigs set up, and basically what I was there for was just putting in props so that they could get their computer guys to do it after the fact. And it, it was not like it was back in the day, and it was kind of a little disappointing. So, you know, hopefully we'll get a little more hands-on stuff somewhere down the line. There's plenty of people still wanting to, you know, use practical effects. I think I thought they were, I thought they were coming back more and more. Yeah, I mean, you know, it would be nice. Um, but I mean, I, I understand, but it's a lot of times, you know, back in the day when we were doing this stuff, you had a lot of people that grew up doing super eight movies and they knew that they had, they only had one role of film. They had to try to get everything when they needed to get it. And nowadays it's like shooting on digital. It's like, Oh, just let the camera roll. We'll do whatever. It's not as, mm-hmm. it's not a critical. There's not that, that, that pressure to, to do this stuff for, you know, like looking back at something like the original from beyond. I mean, all that stuff was practical. There was no CGI and we were trying to give Stuart whatever he wanted. Yeah. Going back to Stuart and yeah, it, it all happened on camera and you had a crew of like 80 to a hundred people where if you screwed up, they're all standing around getting paid. And so you tried not to screw it up. So it made you be. A little bit more in your game. Yeah, that's definitely what's missing. It's yeah. the ease. It's the ease of everything, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too much but time. Matt Matt Rose, uh, you know, like I say, past friend of mine. If we were talking about this, like saying like even something simple like squibbing an actor, like you know, for bullet hits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There is a certain palpable tense, uh, a sense of tension on the set because you got an actor. You got one chance to do this thing without having a major reset time. You got explosives going to be going off on them, and everybody has to try to get that thing the first time because it's too expensive and too long to do it. And then there's a certain tension that's going on in the thing, and it translates onto film, and you actually can kind of it's suddenly not really see it. Whereas if it's just somebody standing there pretending, and then they put in a cartoon blood spurt, and it doesn't really have the same impact as if wow, they actually you know put. 18 explosives on the guy and they shot him. So yeah. it's a different dynamic now. It's kind of weird. Well, that's it. If you've not got something on, on, on set to kind of evoke those feelings, I mean, you go back to like William Friedkin, like shooting a gun on the set of The Exorcist. He got, yeah. he got this out of people through physical, you know, physical things on set. If you, if you take that away, you kind of take away the threat, don't you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's one thing Michael Bay was very good about. Like we built that little frenzy puppet so that it could actually interact with Shia and uh, the girl, um, you know, on the set that they could actually could fight, you know, and things. And, and, you know, he knew that, that at least at some points you had to have something physical there. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was, it, I, it really, it really makes a huge difference. Definitely. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife did want to ask actually if, if you'd ever met Johnny Depp. You know, it's on your IMDb. You've done a couple of films that he's been in. <laughs> oh, you know what? Well, for the record, no, I can't say I met Johnny Depp, but I don't know how the hell I got Pirates of the Caribbean on my resume because I think, I think the only way I could have obviously, I didn't work on those movies. And the only way that was happening is I think KB probably rented bodies out right. to, um, you know, maybe the production or something like that. And they yeah, just yeah. kind of had the standard list of people because. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I, I never had anything to do with. Where there's other things that, you know, like, for instance, that Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I played Moloch in one episode, and yeah. I'm not listed on IMDb with that because for some reason they didn't think I did it. So I, it's, oh, just, okay. it's just kind of a weird 
thing. It's like <laughs> some of those credits are, and also I listed as a producer for like Crawl Space for Charlie <laughs> Band, which is shot like an '84. I was just starting out. I was sweeping the floor of Beaker Shop. I'm not a producer, <laughs> but somehow on the internet I am. Yeah, so. Are you? Is it just on the internet? No. Is it just on the internet, or is it actually actually on the on the movie? It's not I don't like know. A, I mean, it's, just, it's just on the IMDb that I'm credited for. I'm credited as a producer for like. I mean, there's a couple legit ones on there, but there's like five or six movies that I don't <laughs> even know what the hell they are, and I'm. And I'm also credited as an actor in something that's French, uh, Zombie de la Cop Rouge or something like that. That's like <laughs> basically the same list to cast as Cellar Dweller, but yeah. the movie doesn't exist. You know, you look it up and it's like directed by Alan Smithy, which is always the name that people yeah. put out and put their name on it. That's weird. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's an extra credit, you know. You have to put that on, the, on your banner behind you at the next convention. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you so much, Mike. This has been fantastic. You, yeah, you've done. Amazing. You've done tremendously. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so I hope you screw it up for you. That's all. No, no. I've been brilliant. Very Didn't insightful. say cunt or anything. You'll be fine. <laughs> like yeah, now to make up for it, you know. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. I was going to be like you know. Say you know, yeah, no, it's better that I do this this way now. You know, maybe if we ever do this again, well, well, it becomes low and uh, <laughs> everything will be fine. <laughs>